Will you please pray with me? Now, Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you all. Good to have you here today. And so I recently heard the story of a man who worked all of his life and he saved all of his money, but he was incredibly stingy. And just before he died, he said to his wife, when I die, I want you to take all of my money and put it in the casket with me. I want to take my money to the afterlife with me. So he got his wife to promise to do just that. Well, soon after he died, um, or soon after this, he did die. And at his funeral, he was laid out in an open casket for everyone to see. And his wife was sitting right up front, and her best friend was sitting next to her. When they'd finished the ceremony, just before the undertakers got ready to close the casket, the wife said, wait just a moment. And she got up, and she had a small metal box with her, and she walked over to the casket, and she laid this metal box inside the casket next to her husband's body. And then the undertakers came up, they locked up the casket, and they rolled it away. Well, her best friend, who was sitting next to her, was a little bit perplexed by this. She said, I know that you weren't fool enough to put all that money in there with your husband, right? And the loyal wife replied, well, listen, I'm a Christian. I cannot go back on my word. I promised him I was going to put that money into that casket with him. Friend said, you mean to tell me that you put all of his money in the casket with him? I sure did, said the wife. I got it all together, put it into my account, then I wrote him a check. And if he can cash it where he's going, then he can spend it, right? Today we're going to take a look at our gospel reading from Luke chapter 12, and it's a story not dissimilar to the one that I just told, right? We're beginning a new series called Trust Issues, and the first issue of trust we're dealing with is a big one. It is the issue of money. This is where you probably might want to get up and walk out of the building again, right? We're going to talk about trusting God to provide for us even as we seek to live as people with generous hearts. And what we'll see is that as we give away what we've been given, and as we hold our possessions loosely, our trust in God grows as we see him provide for us. And we see what we'll see is that real security and true peace are in fact found not in guarding what we have, but in giving it away. Not in guarding what we have, but in giving it away. So let's turn to our gospel reading from Luke. You can follow along on the screens on either side of me. You can pull out your phone, use your Bible app if you want. If you've got a Bible with you, feel free to use that. And what we have here is what's called a parable. Simply put, that is, a a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus loved to tell parables. In fact, he told them over 35 times, it seems, in the Gospels, because he knows that stories speak to our hearts and that we remember stories in a way that we don't remember just straight teaching. For instance, you will probably remember the story that I told at the beginning of my sermon today, but maybe not much of the rest of my sermon. And that's okay. It's why I told the story, because hopefully it will prompt you later to think, why did we tell that stupid story about the woman in the casket? Because hopefully it will prompt you to remember the main point, which is that real security and true peace is found not in guarding what we have, but in giving it away. Well, the context of this parable is that Jesus is teaching a large crowd, a large crowd. And someone in the crowd gets up and he asks him to arbitrate in a dispute that he's having with his brother. The man says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. 
It's reminiscent of a scene in many families every day of the week, including the Bennett family. Daddy, tell my brother or sister to share their toys with me. Right? Sound familiar? Well, given the circumstances, it would be safe to assume that this is the younger of the two brothers asking this question. And that the father has died without leaving any kind of will, no kind of idea of how to separate things out. And so according to the laws of that time, the family estate can't be divided until the older brother agrees to the terms. Well, clearly in this case, the older brother doesn't want to share what he's inherited. And so the younger brother feels a little bit aggrieved. I expect, and actually I know, that some of you have found yourself in similar situations when a grandparent or a parent has died and a family feud perhaps happens over who gets what or who deserves what. It can be a really tricky and very painful situation. And it seems that this is the case here. And so this man has come to ask Jesus for help. Now, it wasn't unusual for a rabbi, that's a teacher, to be asked to do this, to arbitrate in a legal situation. They were, after all, considered to be experts in the law. So why not go to him? But Jesus refuses. Did you notice that? Why would he refuse? Well, he has a different agenda for these men than the one that this younger brother has. He wants to see the brother's broken relationship restored. He wants to see it restored. He is primarily concerned to see healing so that they themselves can deal with the issue. And so Jesus says this, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And then he gets straight to the, the, the root of the brother's problem, the thing that's driving a wedge between them, which is anxiety and jealousy, anxiety and jealousy. Look what it says in verse 15. Then he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, because Luke writes that Jesus says uh, the word them, he says them, right? We can assume that the older brother is there standing right by the younger brother at the time in the crowd. And he wants to teach them both an important lesson. That real security and true peace are only found in Jesus. Not in our possessions or in the possessions of others that we wish we had. No, it's in him alone. He wants them to put their trust in him. Now, many of us, if we're honest, we spend a lot of time worrying about our financial security. Just think about it. Perhaps you check your bank account daily. Right? I have an email that comes into my account every day and tells me what the balance is because I just want to know. right? Or maybe you've got stocks and shares. And you've got the app on your phone where you can just go, well, I'll just tap on that each day or maybe every hour. How are my stocks and shares doing? I just want to take a quick look and see what's going on. Or perhaps you like to check the value of your home on Zillow every week or some other website just to see, you know, have I accrued some, um, some money through my home perhaps? Um, we put our trust in our financial situation often above, above everything else. And so Jesus, seeing this happening in the lives of these two men, he shares a story to help them and everyone else who's listening and even people like you and me who are listening 2,000 years later. And he shares it so they can understand that we can trust God to provide all that we need. Look at verses 16 through 19. And Jesus told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. 
In my mind, I have this picture of a guy reclining on one of those chaise longues, right? And he's got grapes above his mouth. And he's like, oh, relax, eat, drink, be merry as wine. In his other hand, he's very happy. But he reminds me of the character from um, Charles Dickens' book, A Christmas Carol. Remember Ebenezer Scrooge? Perhaps you've read the book, or more importantly, you've seen the Muppets adaptation, right? <laughs> if you've not seen that, you have to go home and watch that. But everyone here probably knows what someone means when someone is called a Scrooge. It implies someone who's cold, who's stingy, they're greedy, perhaps they're alone, and they're not willing to be generous with their wealth, but rather they want to hoard all they have for themselves. It's worth noting that Dickens once said that he wrote A Christmas Carol to challenge wealthy English people not to forget the plight of the poor. Well, like Scrooge, the rich man in our story does really well for himself. And he wants to keep what he has for himself for his later years. Everything he has earned is his, belongs to him. And it's no one else's. And it's not down to anyone else's efforts, such as his workers. No, he has earned all of this money himself, and he plans to enjoy it by himself. Well, you might actually be thinking, actually, that that sounds fair enough to me. He is, after all, the boss, right? He invested his own money. He took the risk there. Shouldn't he get to keep and enjoy all of that? Well, the problem is that he's missing the point. It's not that money or material things are wrong in themselves or that we can't keep some for our own use. It's that they shouldn't ever become the main focus and goal in our lives. New York pastor Tim Keller defines sin as taking good things and turning them into ultimate things taking good things and turning them into ultimate things. And this is what the rich man has done in our story. He's, he's made wealth the main goal in his life, not the means to glorify God with his generosity and good management of what God's given him. In fact, did you notice how he glorifies himself? You can see it in the text. Notice how he speaks of my crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, and even my soul. My, my, my. But there's a problem, isn't there? He hasn't reckoned with the God of the universe, the one who created him and made him in his image. The one who is the giver of all good gifts and who knows all things. And so look at verses 20 and 21. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. God knows something about this man that the man doesn't know. He knows that that man's life is going to end that night and that the earthly wealth he's accumulated will be useless to him. No, you cannot spend it in heaven. His financial security will not save him and it will be of no use. And as a result, God doesn't mince his words to God. The man is a fool, right? He says, you fool. He has sought security in his temporal possessions and neglected to store up for himself eternal treasure in heaven, treasure that's going to last forever. Yes, when he could have been using his wealth for good, he chose to store it up for himself. And it's a trap that we are all tempted to fall into. The commentator David Wenham writes this, The parable of the rich fool illustrates the deceitfulness of riches. Their deceitfulness lies in their tendency to give people an illusory sense of security, to fill people's thoughts and horizons, and to stifle any interest in the kingdom of God. Too many of us become obsessed with what's ultimately an illusion, this idea that we can have a a security apart from God, security apart from God. It's a myth. 
Now, please hear what I'm actually saying. I'm not saying that it's wrong to manage your money and your possessions well. But it's wrong to become consumed with your money to the point of losing interest in the things of God and putting your trust in things that won't last. This is a really dangerous place to be. And for those of us here today, people who live in the wealthy Western world, I think this is a story that should make us stop and think. You see, if ever a culture was obsessed with possessions and the accumulation of wealth, it is ours. In his book, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger, Moving from Affluence to Generosity, Ron Sider writes these words. We have been brainwashed to believe that bigger houses, more prosperous businesses, and more sophisticated gadgets are the way to joy and fulfillment. As a result, we are caught in an absurd materialistic spiral. The more we make, the more we think we need in order to live decently and respectably. Somehow we have to break this cycle because it makes us sin and it also destroys us. I know this is something that I struggle with, particularly these sophisticated gadgets, if I'm honest. (laughs) And so I'm guessing that there are others out there who struggle with this too. The more I have, the more I want. And the more my neighbors have, the more I want what they have as well. Friends, following Jesus is our only hope. Putting our trust in him And in his ways, only in him can we find real security and true peace and live a life of faith filled with uh, live a life of faith that is radically generous, giving away what we've been given. To quote Tim Keller again, to the degree that you grasp the gospel, money will have no dominion over you. Therefore, think on his costly grace until it changes you into a generous people. The solution to stinginess is a reorientation to the generosity of Christ in the gospel, how he poured out his wealth for you. Now you don't have to worry about money. The cross proves God's care for you and gives you security. In the cross of Christ, we see radical generosity at work. The father gives his only son, his most prized possession, to die for those who have turned their back on him. And because of his generous heart, we too can be set free from sin and death and live anxiety-free lives and not live ungenerous lives. All those who choose to follow him are called to respond with generosity. And as we experience his incredible generosity, it becomes second nature, living out this new gospel-shaped, cross-shaped identity that we've been given. This is where true joy and true peace are found in giving away what we cannot keep to gain what we cannot lose. So what about you? Do you have a generous heart? Are you managing well what God has given to you? Or are you tempted to hoard it? It's ironic, isn't it? But it's only in giving away what would seem to save us from anxiety and fear that we find true peace and freedom. Only in sharing what we've been given that we find true joy. You see, true generosity requires us to put ourselves in the place of trusting God. And even though I'm someone who, who's put myself in God's hands in that way numerous times, dependent on his provision over and over again, I still struggle to trust God and to have a generous heart. I struggle to tithe what I earn. I struggle to give generously to the needs that arise in the lives of my friends and my neighbors. I struggle to lend the things that I own to others. I struggle to show hospitality, opening up the home that God has given to me. It is hard work. I get it but I refuse to give in to the temptation to to give up. 
I want to keep on trusting him again and again. And I want to tithe on the first fruits of what he's given me. I wonder, will you join me in doing the same? Will you choose a life of freedom from anxiety? And will you live with a generous heart? Will you use the biblical standard of a tithe, a tenth of all you earn, as a starting point for your trust in God and your thankfulness to him? Will you do it cheerfully and regularly? And will you give generously beyond that, recognizing that the rest of your income and your possessions are meant to be used for his kingdom's sake? That all things come from him, your homes, your cars, your tools, your clothes, your food, etc. And all things can be used for his glory as we share them with those who have need of them. And I am certain that if you do this, you will discover uh, what is revealed to be true through the scriptures and through the lives of millions of Christians who have gone before you. That as you give away what you have been given and as you hold on loosely to your possessions, your trust in God will grow and that real security and true peace are found not in guarding what you have, but in giving it away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for more trust. As we have this series on trust issues, Lord, would you give us more trust, particularly in the area of money? Lord, as you call us to live radically generous lives, would you help us to trust you as you call us to give away what you have given to us? And Lord, would you help us to give you the glory when we see you provide over and over again for every need that we have? We pray us in Jesus' name. Amen.